the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. will take out from underneath us every false thing that we rely on until we finally get to the place where we trust Him. God wants to have His rightful place in our lives. We end up scurrying around like Hezekiah and the people of Judah did, trying to rely on everything else and everyone else that we can often instead of turning to God. We need to be people who rely on God, who pray to God, who see Him as He's my deliverer. What are you relying on? It's easy to rely on temporary things. Money, medicine, and material possessions can seemingly fix a lot of the issues that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. Today, Pastor Gary is going to remind you that relying on things of this earth is meaningless. God is the only thing that you should be relying on. He is the only one who can provide you with true joy, true health, and true happiness. Stop looking around for a temporary solution. Instead, look towards God for a permanent one. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah chapter 30 as he begins his message, God is waiting for you. We're going to continue in our study through the book of Isaiah today, so if you'll take your Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 30, we're going to look at chapter 30 and a little bit from chapter 31 as well. I'm going to read the first five verses from chapter 30, and then the first three verses from chapter 31. So Isaiah 30, verse 1, "'Woe to the obstinate children,' declares the Lord, "'to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my Spirit, heaping sin upon sin.'" who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame. Now, by the way, why will everyone be put to shame? Because they've all arrived in their Hanes. You see what? Were you following along as I... Did he just make an underwear joke? (laughs) Ignore him. All right, here we go. So though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless. See, some of you just got it. Because of a people useless to them who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. Jump over to chapter 31 and verse 1. 
Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Yet he too is wise and can bring disaster. He does not take back his words. He will rise up against the house of the wicked, against those who help evildoers. But the Egyptians are men and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, he who helps will stumble. He who is helped will fall. Both will perish together. Let's pause there and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you now as we open up our Bibles to these chapters in Isaiah, and we pray as always that you would use your word to do your good work in our hearts. May we apply these things that we read, and may we understand how relevant they are even for our day. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and a heart that would receive what you would have to say to us today. We're honored, Lord, that you would grace us with your presence. And where two or more are gathered, you're in our midst, so you're here today, Lord. We pray that you've been glorified through the worship, and now that you would be glorified as we study your word together. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everyone said, amen. You'll notice with me in your Bibles that both chapters 30 and 31 open up in a similar way. The prophet Isaiah is pronouncing this woe upon Judah because they have sought help from Egypt. You'll notice chapter 30, verse 1, the first word is woe, and chapter 31, verse 1, the first word is woe. And we mentioned last week that when you see the word woe appearing from the lips of a prophet, uh, well, the prophet is basically warning about God's impending judgment. Now, again, Isaiah is called to prophesy to the southern kingdom of Judah. The Jewish people have divided into two camps, if you will. The northern kingdom is Israel, the southern kingdom is Judah, and the capital of the southern kingdom is Jerusalem. And Isaiah is called by God to minister to and to prophesy to the southern kingdom, and he's got a lot to say here to Jerusalem. He begins both these chapters with a word of warning to them, woe, woe to you, even calls them obstinate children. And why is it? Well, they've made an alliance with Egypt, Now, there's nothing wrong with the nation of Egypt itself. In fact, when you look at the Bible, there are different times that God has providentially used Egypt in a wonderful way to benefit his own children. Uh, Back in Genesis, during a time of severe famine, the young budding nation of Israel, which at that time was only about 70 people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the book of Genesis, Jacob had 12 sons, and during his time, Israel experienced this terrible time of famine. Many of you know the story how one of Jacob's sons was betrayed by his other brothers, and Joseph was sent in slavery, ended up in Egypt, and God providentially raised up Joseph over a period of time to eventually become the prime minister of Egypt. He was second in command to Pharaoh, and it was God's providence because during the severe famine in Israel, Joseph's long-lost family would end up coming down to Egypt getting food, finding comfort, being blessed by the Egyptians primarily because of God's providential plan through Joseph. There's nothing wrong with Egypt. God has used Egypt and blessed Egypt in many ways. You see, in the New Testament, where did God tell Joseph to take Mary and the baby Jesus when Herod was trying to murder all the baby boys in Bethlehem to Egypt? Jesus would spend about the first two years of his life growing up in Egypt. You also see Egyptians ending up in the millennial kingdom. In the book of Zechariah, 
Chapter 14, it speaks about how Egyptians will come to the house of the Lord and worship. Because God has always had a remnant of his people in every nation. And God loves the Egyptians. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 19, verse 25, God says, blessed be my people, Egypt. We, despite the fact that there are presently Egypt being held hostage by the Muslim Brotherhood, there are Christians in Egypt. We even have some Coptic Christians from Egypt in our own church. The problem here in Isaiah 30 and 31 is not with Egypt. God doesn't have a problem with Egypt. God loves the Egyptians. The problem he has is that his own people, the people of Judah, have sought Egypt as a savior in the midst of a problem rather than God. That's the problem here. The people of Judah have not turned to God to get help from God in a crisis. They turn to the Egyptians. That's the problem that God has with the people of Judah. Now, let me give you the background of the story so you can appreciate what's going on here. Isaiah prophesies during the reigns of four different kings. Back in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, he names those four kings. The last of the four kings is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is king during the time of chapter 30 and 31 of Isaiah. Okay, all of the book of Isaiah fits within the book of 2 Kings because Isaiah is called by God to prophesy during the reigns of four different kings of Judah. So the king on the throne at this particular time, as we're reading Isaiah 30 and 31, is a guy by the name of Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah is, relatively speaking, a good king. He's got some faults. Uh, everybody has, has their faults, and Hezekiah is no exception. But relatively speaking, he's a pretty good king. He becomes king when he's 25 years of age, and he reigns for 29 years. And Hezekiah ushers in great sweeping spiritual revival. He breaks down all of the pagan altars that unfortunately were allowed to be there during the reign of his father, Ahaz. He smashes all the pagan idols. They had even closed up the house of God, and Hezekiah reopens it, reopens the temple of God, reassigns the priests their duties. He re-implements the feasts, including particularly Passover, and he even reinstates the principle of tithing. And all of this is happening under Hezekiah's leadership. And you can read about it between 2 Kings 18 and 20. And I'm going to refer to 2 Kings 18 through 20 during the course of the teaching, because that's where these chapters from Isaiah fit. Here's one thing that King Ahaz does. In addition to all this great sweeping spiritual reformation, one of the things that 2 Kings 18 verse 7 says is this. He rebelled, that's Hezekiah, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Now, the Assyrians were the major threat right now in the world. The Assyrian Empire was a formidable force. They took up what is on a map today, all of Iraq, a little bit of Iran, some of even uh, Syria. And the Assyrians believed, based on their false understanding of their false gods, that they were supposed to dominate the world. So they're, they're coming to take Israel. And in 722 BC, the Assyrians will take the northern kingdom of Israel. But now the southern kingdom of Judah, for, for the moment, they have resisted coming into. And Hezekiah, king of the southern kingdom... He refuses anymore to do what his father did. 
and that was to appease the Assyrians. Hezekiah's father, when he was king, his name was Ahaz, would give money to the Assyrians so that they wouldn't beat him up. It's kind of the idea like, you know, when a kid in elementary school gives his lunch money to the bully, you know, take my lunch money so you don't beat me up. That's what Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, was doing. He was saying to the king of Assyria, take my lunch money so you don't beat me up. And the king of Assyria was like, okay, good deal. Give me your lunch money and I won't beat you up. And so Ahaz was giving him just all the silver and gold so that you won't come and beat me up. But Hezekiah is a different man. The son of Ahaz comes to the throne now. Hezekiah, Ahaz is dead. Hezekiah comes to the throne. He's like, I'm not doing what my daddy did because I trust in the Lord my God. I'm not paying tribute to the Assyrian king. I'm trusting God to defend us. And Hezekiah was resolute in, in his convictions. I'm not, I'm not paying money to the Assyrians. I'm going to trust God to protect me. So this is the kind of guy that he was here. He trusted in the Lord. And just a quick word about the topic of trust. It's not really the, the theme for today, but just a quick word. Trusting God means that you do all you can and then you leave the rest to God. All right, trusting God does not mean that you check out and then expect God to just do everything. All right, well, I, I trust God for a spouse. I'm just going to sit at home and somebody will knock on my door. <laughs> That's not how it works. You have to kind of go where people are. I'm just going to trust God for a job. I'm just going to sit at home and, and eat ham sandwiches and God's going to bring the perfect job along. How about get your resume out there, get LinkedIn or something going so that you can network and actually do your part. So when people say, I'm going to trust God, don't think that means check out. That means do all you can do. But then there's a point where you've done all you can do and now you just, you leave the rest to God. So that's the kind of guy Hezekiah was. And here's why I'm saying all this. The Assyrians now start marching down towards the southern kingdom. Hezekiah isn't sitting back saying, well, I'm just going to, well, he wouldn't eat a ham sandwich because he's kosher. I'm just going to, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a roast beef sandwich. I'm going to just check out because God's going to take care of all this. No, here's what he does. The Bible says in 2 Kings that he fortifies the city walls of Jerusalem. He makes them stronger where they are weak. And he does another brilliant thing. The fresh water source for the city of Jerusalem was on the outside of the walls. So Hezekiah takes his men, and they burrow underground, and they take pickaxes from two opposite directions to create a tunnel through solid bedrock under the city of David. So they can channel the spring, the Gihon spring, outside the city, underneath through the tunnel to the inside of the city, and then Hezekiah covers up the original source of the spring so that the Assyrians can't drink it. And so that the Assyrians, when they come, can't cut off the fresh water supply. You cut off the fresh water supply, now you've just controlled the whole city. So Hezekiah was brilliant in this way. And in fact, today it's an engineering miracle because it's really the hand of God. How two different men with pickaxes, 1,750 feet in two different beginning points, ended up meeting underground through solid bedrock. And when we go to Israel, we actually walk through Hezekiah's tunnel, and you get an idea of just how amazing this was, of what God used Hezekiah to do. So Hezekiah trusts God, but he's like, I'm going to fortify my cities, and I'm going to bring the fresh water supply in, and then we're going to wait. Now, meanwhile, the Assyrians are marching further, further down. And the Bible says they start taking every fortified city in Judah, not Jerusalem yet, but every other smaller fortified city. 
And when Hezekiah sees this, and sees them coming now to Jerusalem, and they're encircling now Jerusalem, he buckles. He caves. You know, he was a man of good intentions. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to rely on God. But how many of you understand that good intentions are meaningless if not followed through with good actions? Good intentions are meaningless without good actions. Hezekiah caves. He gets afraid. I'm not faulting the guy. I think many of us would probably do the same thing. But what ends up happening is he sends an envoy to Egypt, sends him with some money. Let's go down there quick, and you get the Egyptians to come fight for us. Didn't pray to God. Didn't ask God for help. Didn't seek the Lord. He ran to the Egyptians. Now you get the background of this story. Isaiah comes in here to chapter 30 and 31, and he says, Woe to you. You're relying on Pharaoh. You think Pharaoh's better than God? You think Pharaoh's going to get you out of this mess? This is what Isaiah's saying to them. You're trusting in Pharaoh and chariots and horses instead of the Lord your God? Woe to you. Woe to you. You know what happens? The Egyptians come and they get slaughtered by the Assyrians. You want to know why? Because God will take out from underneath us every false thing that we rely on until we finally get to the place where we trust Him. God wants to have His rightful place in our lives. We end up scurrying around like Hezekiah and the people of Judah did, trying to rely on everything else and everyone else that we can, often, instead of turning to God. We need to be people who rely on God, who pray to God, who see Him as, He's my deliverer. He's my strength. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my ever-present help in times of trouble. Instead, what Hezekiah did and the people of Judah, we're going to run to Egypt. The Egyptians will help us. No, the Egyptians aren't going to help you. In fact, this is why Isaiah refers to the Egyptians in chapter 30, verse 7, as utterly useless. In chapter 30, verse 7, he calls them Rahab the do-nothings. Isn't that great? He's just like, he's like, the Egyptians are just, they're just do-nothings. Not, not to disparage the Egyptians, but to say to the people of Judah, you're relying on a source that can't save you. You're looking for help in the wrong places. And so this is why Isaiah, again, look at chapter 31, verse 1. This is why Isaiah in 31.1 says to them, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and in the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. But unfortunately, the people didn't want to hear it. Like, we we don't want to hear Isaiah. We don't want to hear this. We don't want to hear it. Look at chapter 30. Go back to chapter 30, verses 10 and 11. Chapter 30, verse 10. They say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Do you see what they're saying? They're like, we, Isaiah, stop this. La, 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 la. We don't, we, we don't want to hear what you have to say from God. You know, and, they, and the people of Judah start singing Fleetwood Mac. They're like, tell us lies. Tell us sweet little lies. You know, but we don't, we don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to hear that, that God's upset with us, that God's our... We, we're, don't you see all these Assyrians around us? We've got to do something. And we've, we've turned to the Egyptians. So stop, stop with all your prophecy and just let us be. And God says through Isaiah in verse 15, 
He says this, chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The Holy One of Israel says, In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. Underline that in your Bibles. In repentance and rest, this is verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. God says to them through the prophet Isaiah, if you would just sit still, you would see the mighty hand of God. In repentance, if you would just turn from the path you're on and turn towards me, that's what repentance is. In repentance and in rest, you'll be saved. You'll be helped. In quietness and trust is your strength. Just... Be quiet and be still and wait on me. If you would just sit still and wait on me and trust me, I'm going to take care of you. But the rest of verse 15 says, but you would have none of it. God says, if you'll just wait on me, trust me, have confidence in me, it's going to be okay, but you would have none of it. You would have none of it. They wanted to do it their way. They didn't want to wait for God. They said, we got this, God. And you know what is so wonderful and amazing about our Father in heaven? Is that they didn't want to wait for Him. So you know what God said to them? Then I'll wait for you. I'll wait for you. And eventually you'll get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And eventually you will have exhausted all your resources... You will have tried everything, and eventually you'll turn to me, and when you do, I'll be there. I'll be waiting for you. That's the loving heart of our Father. Well, the plan with the Egyptians failed, so Hezekiah resorted to something else. He did something that he vowed he would never do. He repeated the sins of his father, and he gave the bully his lunch money. In 2 Kings, it tells us that Hezekiah then paid the king of Assyria to go away. And I'll translate the equivalency of Scripture when it talks about the measurement of what he gave. Here's what he gave. 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. The market value today would be between 35 and 40 million dollars. And you know what's even more tragic? The Bible says in 2 Kings that Hezekiah, in order to pay the one ton of gold, stripped the gold off of the temple of God and gave it to the Assyrian king. He stole from God and God's house to pay off the king of Assyria. And you know what? That still didn't work. He gave him 35 to 40 million dollars in silver and gold. And you know what the Bible says? That the field officer of the Assyrians comes to the wall of Jerusalem in the hearing of all the people of Judah in the city of Jerusalem, and he taunts them. And he ridicules God, insults God, intimidates the people, and insults Hezekiah. 
And Hezekiah hears this and all the people with him and they become afraid and they're like, I thought you paid this guy off. He goes, yeah, I, I did. I paid him off. And, and they're still threatening to come against us. And they're insulting God now. And now, now it's an affront to God and all of this. And, and Hezekiah's getting all worked up. He's like, I've tried this all. I, I tried. I, I got the Egyptians. That failed. I, I paid him all this money. I stripped the gold off the temple of God. And that still hasn't worked. I'm undone and I don't know what else to do. And you know what else he did when you don't know what else to do? You go to God. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was a man who lived during many kings' reigns. Perhaps the most well-known king during Isaiah's time was Hezekiah. Isaiah offered counsel and wisdom God had given him, encouraging these kings to continue following God. Some of them did, and others followed their own ways or the people's ways more than God's. Isn't it easy to slip into what the world around you is doing or saying, giving into their ways and rituals? This was the case then, and it's the case now. But what we can learn from Isaiah is that God can use people to speak truth. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can speak truth to one another? Here at Cornerstone Chapel, we get together each Sunday and Wednesday to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. It's a powerful time for us to learn together and fellowship together. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Find service times and directions by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks so much for listening and learning in the book of Isaiah on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know, you're not a General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.